0: Hi, I'm Dr George Summer and you're listening to Reasonable and Necessary, brought to you by the Summer Foundation. Joining me on today's episode are Mark Brown and Kate DeCruz. We're going to explore the complex relationships that we have with the NDIS. What makes these relationships work like? and how do they sometimes Fall apart. And when they do get difficult, how do we rebuild trust? Check it out. Hi, Mark and Kate, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. You're going to talk to us about research. There's a whole research team at the Summer Foundation.
1: What do you guys do individually? Well, I'm a research fellow at the Summer Foundation and I have been since about 2018, and um, my job varies from project to project, from crunching numbers, um, using administrative data to interviewing people um, and doing qualitative research, so a wide range. And uh, K yourself?
2: Yeah, so I'm a senior research fellow at the Summer Foundation. I have a background as an occupational therapist and found myself really interested in doing qualitative research. So my particular interest is listening to people and being curious and finding out a little bit more about their experiences. And um, really, I guess one of the main focus of our research is partnering with people with lived experience of disability and working together to kind of understand their experiences and hopefully then communicate those in a way that has impact um, and particularly at a policy or government level.
0: Now, you've uh, both uh, been doing some really interesting research around the NDIS and um, you've done a study where you've uh, done quite in-depth interviews, right? What, what, why did you talk to people about the NDIS and how many people did you interview?
1: This project that we're currently working on, um, we began uh, late last year um, in the sort of still in the lead up to the election and there was a lot of discussion at that time about the future of the NDIS. The um, the S word was being thrown around a lot, sustainability of the NDIS Um, and so the project that we started with uh, a, a qualitative project um, to look at the NDIS from the perspective of what it's like to be a participant, um, what it's like to be in the mind of the participant and lift that experience. So uh, we've been interviewing people one-on-one or um, two-on-one with, um, with a friend or family member or someone involved in their, in their lives. And um, the interviews have been really interesting, in-depth conversations. Oh, I like I like depth. It's good. And, and what have you found so far? We've done 13 interviews. And the key thing is this idea of the relationship participants have with the NDIS. And with the NDIA, it's a relationship that their life depends on because they require reasonable and necessary supports. For the participant, making the relationship work is um, non-optional.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like, if you and I, you know, after that, I'm "I'm done with this NDIS. You know, I'd be dead in a few hours, really. Or maybe three or four days if I'm lucky.
1: Which is a a bit different to some other you know, government schemes or um, government services um, where the idea is something is provided short term, and then the idea is that you won't need that anymore. And goodbye. We hope not to see you again.
0: And look, that's not we advocated for, right? But we advocate for a lifetime scheme, something that will be there that we can rely on you know we we these are all good things you know that that the end is there for us
2: yeah and can i add there george that's um something i think that's really important from what we've learned is that there is this really strong goodwill this kind of vested interest or commitment for the NDIS to be successful so for that very reason that this is an ongoing relationship one it's really central to people's lives they can't opt out of and I think that's something that's really that important itself is really important that we kind of pause and recognize that because that really just I think that shapes the rest of our understanding around people's experiences of the NDIS currently.
0: Yeah indeed and so what's it like Mark when you've got this relationship with, you know, a government, you know, bureaucracy which, you know, I, I think that once you've got half a million people on the scheme, it, it's it's hard not to be
1: a bureaucracy. A takeaway for me from um, doing these interviews and and looking through the data is how complicated the relationship is and the... The mixed feelings that often came up. So, on the one hand, most people we talked to um, would would bring up on on their own the a range of really real benefits and um, important things where they've where the NDIS has been vital for unlocking opportunities um, and making a range of things possible. Um, so, most people, on, on the one hand, really wanting to um, emph- emphasise that to us that that um, that the NDIS was working for them in some way, and that uh, it, it's not it's not a scheme that they would want to see um, go away, and and then the other side is something that came up a lot which was a sense of a loss of confidence or a loss of a sense of stability in the scheme and their relationship with the scheme and so even when people talked about uh being able been able to use my funding to do this and this and that's been Um, a great improvement for me and my quality of life compared to before the NDIS. For a lot of people, there is this um, underlying fear in some cases or apprehension that what if um, the rug is pulled out from underneath them? And that's a really key thing that... Um, we plan to investigate more and talk about more in our upcoming report, which will go into things on in more detail. But uh, I suspect that um, this is a key issue that we need to have a conversation about in the in the disability community.
2: Yeah, and. Mark, I guess one thing, and we got a sense from the people that we've spoken to so far that what's fueling this loss of trust or confidence is experiences of really long wait times for funding, um, people feeling kind of vulnerable at risk in in those wait times, people in particular who don't have other kind of external family and supports. Um, People also describing this kind of lack of feedback around the process of their funding um, or trying to make contact um, with the NDIA and not having people that either understand their particular situation or not having the, the skill or knowledge in that moment to kind of understand and talk with them. Because particularly people with cognitive and communication difficulties were sharing a lot of frustration with that um, that feedback and the nature of so the kind of the lack of feedback and the nature of the feedback. Um, so there were some really specific examples that participants have given us around these experiences that continue to happen that seem to be eroding this confidence and trust in the stability of the scheme to support their needs.
0: And you had a really nice quote around that, didn't you, around someone who had that experience?
2: That's right, yeah. One of our participants said, we rely on the NDIS and I think that for the NDIS to recognise how much we rely on that funding and especially for people like myself, where they've got no internal support like family and partners, we rely on that external support because we don't have a family to rely on we don't have a partner
0: yeah and you know that that's the reality for a lot of people yeah and, and that's that's really um I think you know where you know, if the MBI isn't working and you don't have the informal support that it's even more uh, critical um, to get that relationship working for you.
2: Absolutely. And people also talked about examples of where there's that gap in funding and actually then agencies continuing to provide support without funding in that time because of the vulnerability of that person in that moment. And, um, you know, that's a really big ask for someone. And what was happening is people were saying they felt guilty or uncomfortable having to be a burden on an organisation that's not being funded in that moment for providing support, but they didn't have any other oppo- option and um, and the agencies have recognised that. So, yeah, and those who do have external support were really reflective and concerned about others who may not, so they could recognise those risks for others.
1: That was a really interesting thing that came up a lot um, in the interviews, Kate, when um, people would say things like, look, I've worked really hard and to and advocate, I've advocated for myself. I fought for, um, I fought to be treated fairly and to get the reasonable necessary supports I need. But I'm lucky that I had the ability to do that. And if I wasn't so, like if I wasn't in a position to, to do that, um, what, what would happen to me? Oh, yes,
0: the the self advocacy that you need to do every day um is really intense sometimes, and it is concerning that not everyone uh, necessarily has um, has that ability or that support or that those skills to
1: um, to advocate for themselves, but it, it brings up the Self-advocacies and advocacy skills are always great to have. Um, but if the relationship with the NDIA was a partnership where you both have the same goals, um, then would you have to advocate to the NDIA to support you um, with reasonable necessary funding, or would it be a process of let's work out the funding plan together because we both have the same both have the same goals.
0: Yeah, and, uh, I think that goals are tricky aren't they? cuz um the NBA's goal is to obviously provide the supports in accordance with the act. And um that's all open to interpretation and often the planner that you um, are lucky or unlucky enough to end up with. Is that something that came out?
1: Yeah, that particularly that idea of, look, it depends who you happen to be put in contact with on on the day. Um, That one planner might tell you one thing, but then another planner might have a different interpretation of what the rules are, what the guidelines are. Um, and what you're entitled to. I reckon there's a lot of
0: fantastic you know, planners out there that, that mm-hmm. are doing great work, right? Uh, and we need to acknowledge that, just that not everyone's lucky enough to land that planner. And then there's when the, the funding is of particular you know, type, like it might be SDA, then there's all the bureaucracy of getting that worked out. So... It does good. what comes with it doesn't
2: yeah, and I think if you go back to that, um, this this kind of concept of being in relationship with, something that we you know heard from the participants was this need for um, consistency or someone who understands you and your needs and can kind of travel alongside with you. Um, so they talked about this idea of having a, people really relied on it, an ally or someone who they could trust and who could provide that support. And sometimes that would be a support coordinator or a planner, but other times it might be close others or other allied health professionals. Um, and so that, that became really central. I guess that was a really kind of a central theme, wasn't it, Mark, that people talked about with this idea of having an ally.
1: Having an ally seemed to be something that for the people that felt like they had that, that it was a, um, something protective or something that helped them cope with the relationship that they don't have with the NDIA so for some people, um, having a support coordinator that they have a really good relationship with, or a friend or family member that um, that sort of works through their um, helps them work through their NDIS journey, um, um, meant that the so the fear and uncertainty about about dealing with the NDIA um, was was a shared problem and um, seemed, to, seemed to make it uh, an easier process for a lot of people.
0: Yeah, you're me of the quality uh, and safeguards uh, framework that talks about developmental safeguards and it talks about all of those relationships that um, we either have or don't have. In our lives, and actually, the, the basis of whether or not you have, you know, you're at risk of, of abuse, um, or whether or not you're um, able to be resilient in certain um, areas. Where, yeah, you know, I, I, I think that a lot of people with disability, because of the social exclusion. And because of the discrimination, because of community attitudes, a lot of us don't have all those really important foundational relationships.
1: The level of, of self-knowledge and thinking about life goals, I mean, it's, it's kind of an odd thing. Um, I, I think most people would think it's an odd thing to uh, be on the... On the phone or having a meeting with um, a government agency and talking about, you know, what are your life goals for the next five, ten years? Um, you know, it's more like an, a job interview question, but it's, it's. Um, I, I don't, you know, I'm an NDIS participant myself, and um, that's always a, that's always a tricky part for me to answer and think about. Um, yeah, what, what are my life goals and what? What makes for a good life goal? Um, and how does what I say about my goals affect what supports will be deemed reasonable and necessary? Um, um, I personally find I definitely need other people to help me think through um, what I what it is I actually want.
2: George, I've got a nice quote from another participant. Can I share that?
1: Yeah, does it?
2: um so one of our participants reflecting on a really similar point said you need to get a good support coordinator but it's very important that you get along with your support coordinator and she or he understands your needs and what you need for your plan because there's no point getting a support coordinator that doesn't know who you are because it's all about all about supporting you as a person um Mm -hmm. that really nails what we're talking about here doesn't it
0: i think it does um Although, can I add another layer of complexity to that? Um, Support coordinators come and go, don't they? So, there is that issue around when we're dependent on someone paid in our life, you know, what happens when that person leaves? Um, Or what happens if we can't find the right support coordinator for? for our needs it's complicated yeah
2: absolutely and that contributes to that lack of stability you know that kind of that fear around i might be okay for now but i don't know in six months or 12 months and that was really evident across a number of the participants
0: yeah and my little life lesson is never rely on one person for anything (laughs) yeah um so you talked about trust and um, how yeah, that was important. What are some of the things that you think need to happen to strengthen and build trust in, in that relationship between people with disabilities and
1: the NDIA? If we're right, and, the, and the, the, this feeling that we've heard um, in who we have talked to is more widely shared, then rebuilding trust um, is going to be pretty important. And if you, if you think about it as a relationship between participants and um, the NDIS or the NDIA, then um, as in any relationship where trust has been lost, it's gonna take time to, to get that back. So even if tomorrow um, you know, every, every policy change to whatever you happen to, to think was the best thing, it can still be a lingering feeling of okay, things are going better today, but I, th- I felt that way in the past, and then I, I felt let down later on. So, a consist consistency over a period of time of things improving is probably going to be important. And the other thing I suspect is the dialogue that happens between participants and the NDIS, NDIA and government um, going forward. In, if, uh, in you know, relationship counselling, if you're going to relationship counselling, a good place to start would be both sides having an open and honest dialogue where you know the mistakes can be admitted to and Everyone feels safe to talk through their talk through their feelings about it. Maybe something similar needs to happen um between participants and the NDIS.
0: Well, considering that a lot of people are in court at the IOT, um, <laughs> with the NDIA. Um I think there'd be a bit of a, a bit of relationship rebuilding uh it might need to occur there. Um, but that's yeah, that, that's that that's really tough, you know. The once the trust has been broken, like you said, you have got to do some work to, to get it back. So so ideally, Mark, really what what sense did you get to participants about what they want these this relationship to be like. Like what what's what's a healthy relationship with the NDIA?
1: I think it probably looks different for different people, but some some common elements are this sharing of of goals or sharing of the ultimate purpose of the scheme. Um, um, that the you know my goals of of um, pursuing my personal goals and the NDIA's goals aren't aren't in opposition um, to each other.
2: On that line, we, people talked a lot about this idea of the being understood. So actually, working yeah. with people in an organisation that really gets them and their needs. So it's about kind of together problem solving solutions and working really positively together, um, and perhaps less of trying to kind of fight for this understanding of I need this funding or you know my particular situ- situation is this so understanding and I know that that's a kind of a nuanced concept but that did come up a lot from participants um, um, and this idea of kind of I think Mark you talked about you know making mistakes and kind of learning together so recognizing that we haven't got it quite right now um, Going back to the relationship, though, also I think it's good to re- remember that uh, this idea of there was a lot of goodwill because, again, the relation—you know—people can't opt out of the relationship, so rebuilding trust is difficult, mm. but it's really central. People want and need this to work, so mm. although it's hard, I think you know recognition of the importance and centrality of this relationship and the, the kind of the desire to get it right. Um, and there's a lot more I think we can do in this space to kind of work out together some some good solutions.
0: So, less, less fighting and, and more working
1: collaboratively, yeah? Yeah. Sorry. Great. And more open, yeah. honest dialogue. And actually, the, um, the Summer Foundation has another research endeavor which is um, trying to further that along a little bit. Oh. Tell us about that.
2: So we've yeah Mark, yeah so we've got a survey um, out currently um, and it's designed um, very much some very simple questions but really focused on people having a say in kind of the future of the NDIS. So really keen to understand what's working well from people's perspective and what you would change if you could. You know, like if you had a magic wand, three things you would change to make the NDIS better. Um, so really honing in on that understanding to kind of then propel some solution, some generation of solutions. Um, this survey is um, you can find it on our Summer Foundation website. Um, you just scroll down a little bit and you'll see have your say, um, and it's also on our Summer Foundation social media sites. So you'll find that on you know Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn. Um, and also we've they've got a question there around. Uh, if people are interested in sharing their story, so um, that we would really love to hear from more people around their experiences to try and um, get together and to kind of generate some solutions. Um, In our study, Mark and I are also looking at going back to some participants who we've spoken to already and then also going back to some new participants to get a little bit more understanding around solutions and ideas that can contribute to um, a change and, hoping to run some workshops as well, which is very much designed around participants of, or NDIS participants coming up with some solutions um, that we can then take back at a policy level and government level to try and inform some new developments.
0: Sounds good. So when does the survey close? Uh, How long is it? will it be open?
2: I think mid, mid-July mid it'll be closed. Okay.
0: Tw- Mid-July 2022. That's
2: all right. Thanks, George. Yeah. Okay.
0: Great. Really um,
2: encouraging people to grab that opportunity because it is a really, you know, it's designed as a simple survey and it's open to anybody in Australia who's an NDIS participant.
0: And you know what I love about what we do at the Summer Foundation is that we don't just ask questions because we're interested, we actually use that information. So we have a new government and uh, it's a, a new day, a new opportunity to influence and yeah, why not get involved, do the survey and we'll use that um, to tell the government what people want. Absolutely. Any final comments?
1: Well, just thank you so much, George, for having this conversation with us. It's been great to talk about the research. We're really passionate about it and um, and great to hear your thoughts and um, hopefully um, other people find it interesting
2: and yes thanks George and a and shout out to our participants as well they know who they are um, we're learning so much from spending time with talking with people about their experiences and really looking forward to sharing the, the learnings a bit more widely and hopefully getting some goodly positive change
0: yeah and thanks to both of you for coming on the show and uh, hopefully we'll do another one and we'll, we'll talk about what the findings were that'd be brilliant
2: Thanks,
0: George. All right, have a good afternoon. Thanks so much. Bye, everyone. Bye. That's all we have time for on today's episode of Reasonable and Necessary. To be notified of future episodes, don't forget to hit the subscribe button and the notification bell. Thanks for listening, and until next time, stay well and reasonable.